Well, last uh, week we ended with the spies being sent into Canaan. Israel has come a long way since we've started studying them. Changed a lot, multiplied greatly. We now have a codified law that's being put into place. Um, quick little typo um, at the at the top of your page. It says we'll be getting all the way through Deuteronomy today. We will not be getting all the way through Deuteronomy today, but we will next week. And uh, next week, I fully expect that we will have finished the entire Pentateuch. We'll have the so basically, and we'll have the first five books of the Old Testament behind us. So we've really made a, a fair bit of progress here. And thanks you guys for hanging in there with us. And I look forward to uh, moving forward as we continue to uh, progress through this section. So back to the spies. God directed Moses to select men to go from every tribe. And more than that, he told him to select chiefs from among the people to go and scope out this land. They were to um, look and see what the land was like, who was dwelling there, how numerous they were. Um, how fruitful the land was. And the spies are in the land for 40 days, and then they return and make a report. But there's a problem almost right away. The spies come back, and before Aaron, Moses, and all Israel, they indicate that the land is, is fertile. They, they use the phrase, flows with milk and honey. They say it's a, it's a, it's a fertile land. But they also report that the people in the land are strong, and they dwell in well-fortified cities. They also make, um, a descendant, uh, they make a mention about the descendants of Anak, or the Nephilim. We will talk about that a little bit more when we get to Goliath. Um, Goliath was not the only giant mentioned in the Old Testament, and there's some interesting connections there that we'll... Um, that we will uh, explore a little further when we get to that section. But sufficient to say, they said there's, there's a lot of people that are strong, and as a matter of fact, they're giants, some of them, very large people. Um, one of the spies, his name's Caleb, um, he, sort of, he sort of disagrees. He sort of shoehorns himself into the conversation, and he says, you know, the, he says if God wants us to, you know, to give us this land, he will. We should go up and immediately take possession of it right away. Um, but then there's sort of an argument back and forth. The rest of the spies, they, they argue against this. They say, you know, this is a dangerous course of action. They say the people in the land are too strong for us. As though the God who brought them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, who fed them in the desert, and revealed himself on the mountain of God, couldn't handle this situation. You have to kind of understand, you know, we keep that in context of what we've seen so far, because this happened within these people's lifetime, okay? This wasn't a second or third hand story. You know, these people were there for it. They were first hand witnesses to many of these things. Um, but they, re- they make a bad report to the people. All, um, all the other spies save one. They say that it's a land that devours its inheritance. And the first question I kind of had for you guys is, there's no mistake that this is exactly the land God has laid out for Israel. Um, he's even given them the boundaries, the borders. They know where it is. Um, so in the eyes of most of these spies, why doesn't this promised land, which we've been looking forward to since Abraham, why doesn't it look like a blessing? What's going on here? Lee? Well, I'm, I'm guessing they're just scared. But my, my, I had a question yes. before that. What yes. is the time frame between them leaving 
ex uh, Egypt and being here. Is this this isn't like million? I mean, twenty years or anything? Is it? No, no. We know that you know we know that um, they were at the mountain for a little over two years. If you go by the dates, and, and now they've left the mountain of God and they've moved toward Canaan. And they stopped there and sent spies in, and they, pa- and they paused sort of on the verge of this land. And um, so, yeah, it, it's, this has happened within a fairly short amount of time, to speak to your point. It hasn't been, um, the, these are not legends from yesteryear. These are not passed down from great, 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 great grandpa. I mean, it was like, no, you walked, you, you know, if you're an adult and you're here, you walked through that, you know, the Red Sea. So, um, but, but again, it doesn't look like a blessing to most of them. They don't want to go into the land. They, yes, Wanda. Well, then that puts a little fear in me right there. Um, right. You're telling me we've got to go check it out. So we're like, well, let's make sure God knows what he's doing. Would that kind of put a little bit of... It's possible. I, mean, I don't know. It's Tell possible. Me. I don't think it was a mistake because the Lord told Moses to pick spies and send them in. Okay. However, Missed that, part. that yeah. could have contributed to some of the spies perhaps having a less okay. than faithful outlook on the situation. But it's just, it's an interesting point because this is mm-hmm. something that they've been looking forward to and, and have mm-hmm. had a promise of for a very long time. And, and we're dealing with a God who has done active, large public miracles within their lifetimes. It's just an interesting point that... Most of the people, most of the spies that are sent into the land, and these aren't nobodies, again, they're from all the different tribes, they're chiefs mm-hmm. among the men, they're not, yeah. they picked important people to go, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of them are, are, are kind of dragging their heels now at this point. So, thoughts? Sorry, Steve, I think I saw you next. Why, why isn't it 40 years from the beginning to the end? We'll, we'll get to that, and there's a verse we'll talk about, um, the 40 years. Um, here just in just a chapter. But um, basically the way it works out, in, uh, when you move to Numbers 14, God says, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. So basically, for every day the, that the spies were in the land, God says, you're going to have to not be in the land and be wandering in the desert for a whole year. So 40 days becomes 40 years, and that's how uh, the math works out. So, yes, Greg. Did that answer your question, Steve? Was that, was that close? Okay. Well, uh, up to this point, uh, all of the miracles that people have seen, they, they weren't involved with any of them. Uh, the, the taking the land was something they were going to have to do. In their in their mind, uh, they were going to have to go in and fight for the land, and yes. they were they were intimidated, of course, by the Anakin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was probably just a a lack of faith on how God was going to protect them. Yeah, and looking at fighting these giants, it's true. Um, they God has God has at this point brought them through one successful battle, if you will, the one where they had to keep, you know, Moses had to have help keeping his hands in the air so that the people would uh, triumph. But again, they haven't had a lot of experience with this sort of thing. It's a new compared to some of the other miracles. I agree. Yes. Uh, Just a general observation. You know, 
you're dealing with some people that have been enslaved for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, much like modern day uh, communism, you know, the people coming out of communism, they are not at all thinking. I mean, you can see it all the way along with the grumblings and complainings. Um, They're used to having things done for them to a certain extent. Now, you could say, well, no, they're slaves. They had to do everything for themselves. Well, yeah, but it's a different mentality. And so I think you see some of that here. I'm sure that's not all of it, but they are not at all to the point yet where, hey, we can do this. I mean, we just saw God do these things. We're ready to go. Now, they're still thinking they're slaves back in, uh, back in Egypt. I think that's a good point, um, just sort of tying into that. Um, slaves are made to do many things, but slaves aren't, you know, aren't off, you know, they aren't going to be like frontline soldiers very often. So that would be different. And as Greg pointed out, this is a new kind of thing God is asking them to do, certainly something outside where they've been before. And, and I agree, it's, it's unusual for them. But, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for us to consider this because we're going to see the response of the people next, and then we're going to see how God views their response by where he, where he goes from there. Yes, Carol. Sorry. I over here on the side. I missed you. Well, I'm just thinking of the response the Lord would have liked them to have had when they went into the land that they would have gone in and said, wow, look at this incredible, look at the size of those grapes, look at this incredible land. And uh, and then also to maybe have thought, okay, these are big guys, but here's, you know, what do spies do? You know, if you're in a war, the spies go in to figure out their weak points, to figure out how to go in and take them. Right. And they didn't come back with either one of those. No, uh, no. Um, so I, I'm just thinking of an application when God asks you to do something something new, you know, mm-hmm. what's our response? Usually we're scared to death. Instead, we should think, okay, how's God going to help me to do this? And look at the great benefits. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great application when we are sometimes put in situations where we have to do something we're not comfortable with. Um, but anyway, what's... What seems to be missing is, is just a, a lack in confidence or a lack in faith that you know, God will take care of this. Um, and we see, we see the report of the spies, and then we see the response of the people. The people of Israel, we're in Numbers 14 now. The people of Israel raise a loud cry, and they weep all through the night. Like you said, sort of a inauspicious acceptance of this you know, new role as conquerors of the land. Um, and of course, they grumble against Moses and Aaron. We've talked about that a lot before. And of course, as we've talked about before, looking back with sort of rose-colored glasses, they lament having to you know, leave Egypt. And they question God, why did you bring us out of the land? But one step further, they determine to choose a new leader and return to Egypt. This is a step beyond just basic grumbling. It's kind of like, okay, God, we saw, the, we saw the land that we've traveled so far to get here for, that we have a covenant promise for, but we have another plan. We're going back to Egypt where we're slaves. We're going to find a different ruler. We're going back. We're, you know, this is, deal's off. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, Moses and Aaron, upon hearing this, of course they're crushed because their whole role was to bring was to act as an intermediary for God and to bring Israel to this point. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces, and they sort of 
plead with the congregation, you might say. Um, remember, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, um, are, are, on, are in the same camp as Moses and Aaron. They tear their clothes as a mark of mourning, um, and they just say, no, we should do this. But um, Israel is not convinced. Israel in mass is not convinced. As a matter of fact, it says they moved to stone Moses and Aaron. So we're going to kill you. We're going to get a new leader. We're going back to Egypt. That's our plan. The glory of the Lord appears, prevents that from happening. And here we see God's anger burns, burns toward Israel. We're getting to... um, here in just a minute, we're, gonna, um, we're, we're getting to a section that, that, that is, is a bit challenging in Israel's history because there's just a lot of punishment. There's a lot of death. This is what kicks that off, okay? I mean, we've had, certainly we've had grumbling along the way. We've had the golden calf, all catastrophic sins. But this one is, will, will in some ways have um, harder effects for this generation, God, uh, Moses um, is again speaking with God, and God says, you know what? I'm just going to wipe them out and make a new nation from you. Remember that happened once before, right? And again, Moses says, no, please no. And he, and he sort of makes, um, he, he intercedes. He says, please forgive them. You know, I don't, I don't want to be the guy you build a new, uh, build a new um, people from. Um, that's where Numbers 14, God does pardon Israel, but promises severe judgment. And this is the, the uh, section I was reading earlier um, when I was talking to Steve, um, where we get to Numbers 14, 34, starts there. And basically, Israel's going to suffer 40 years in the wilderness for their faithfulness. One year for each day the spies, spies sent in the land, spent in the land. God also states that all of Israel listed in the census. So remember, people 20 years and older, all the people listed in the census who grumbled against him will die in the desert. So this is, a, this, this is new, well, okay? This is, we've seen God punish them before. You might say this was a whole new level of rebellion on their part, and it was a whole new level of punishment. Now, I would interject, Caleb and Joshua are spared from this fate. Two of the, the two spies who came back and said, we should go in. We should be in there in the land. God will take care of it. We should go. They're not going to die. But everyone else is. The people who walked through the Red Sea... The people who saw God manifest His glory on the mountain, they now know that they're going to wander in the desert, that they will never reach this promised land. They're going to die in the desert, and this generation will pass away, except for a few, like I said, specific exceptions, before they see the promised land again. So this is a, um, this is a, like, this is a heavy punishment for a heavy sin, and... Um, and on top of that, all the spies who brought a bad report about the promised land are killed by, the, by a plague. So he's, God is saying, oh, are we feeling nostalgic for the days in Egypt? How about a plague to remind you of what it was like in Egypt? And, and the spies who you know, gave a, a bad report are, are killed by this plague. Um, but as a question for us that I think is important to remember... 
even when in this moment when God is so, think about how, you know, how, how many reasons God has to be righteously angry at Israel and how angry he is with them. He doesn't punish Caleb and Joshua. They don't die in the desert like everyone else. And, and I, that's a good point. What does that show us about God? Think about how severe this punishment is. But these, these two men, not them. I think so, yeah. Blessed are those who are faithful. I think it just shows that our God is, um, we're seeing God's character here. And God is certainly a God of righteous judgment and of wrath when his people disobey. But the people that are faithful to him are blessed. You know, we don't have to worry about, you know, God destroying us because we're in the midst of a sinful generation if we are faithful. And I think that's a, that could be an encouraging thought for us because, you know, goodness knows, you know, the, we're often surrounded by this sort of thing. So God is not just indiscriminately wrathful. I mean, he's angry, but... Um, and, and again, this really changes sort of the, the dynamic here for the next several chapters as, as we're wandering through the desert. Is just that this generation now knows they're going to pass away. Like, you had your shot. Um, so, God instructs them. He says there's Amalekites and there's Canaanites dwelling in the valleys here. So we're going to turn, and we're going to set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. So, so we're going to turn. We are at the promised land. We are turning. There's dangerous people here. We're going to go somewhere else. Well, this is, this is uh, fantastic, because what happens next is Israelites, after they hear the words of Moses, after they hear God's judgment, they want to go up to the hill country the next day. They say, we've sinned. We now want to go into the land the Lord has shown us. It is too late. Moses warns them not to go, since God will not go with them. We're in Numbers 14 still. But the people who, after hearing the report of the spies, did not want to go, now seem to want to go on their own. They disobey and go on their own. The Amalekites and the Canaanites defeat them in battle and pursue them, killing many. So the people sort of waffled, if you will. It's like, no, we're not going to go. And God's like, I'm going to punish you. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years and die. And like, okay, we want to go. And God's like, it's too late. I'm not, I'm not with you. Your taking the land was dependent upon me going with you and blessing you, protecting you. It had to happen as my plan had laid it out. So again, there's judgment. Um, and we find ourselves on the cusp of a, um, a, a far larger issue with the people like I said, this really changes the dynamic here. A Levite named Korah, we're in number 16 now, and 250 well-known chiefs from among the people rebel against Moses and Aaron. This is a, a sort of a different complaint against Moses. Moses, um, in the past, when they've complained about him, it's often been, we don't have food, we don't have water, we miss Egypt. This is a little different. It, um, because wrapped up in their complaint against Moses is that, Moses, you're kind of exalting yourself. You know, you're kind of setting yourself up like a prince, Moses. And, um, you know, we think that, you know, it's a bad setup. And, and Moses responds. He instructs Korah and all his companies to fill censers. Remember the censers with the incense? We talked about those last week. Put incense on them. So the next morning God can choose who's the holy one as if we needed another sign to show that, you know, Moses is the guy that God has 
brought up to do this task. And Moses even warns Korah. They've gathered, gathered against God. And he warns them against, like, seeking to exalt themselves and wanting to be more than they already are. Um, and what happens is the next day, Moses warns the Israelites. He said, Korah and two other men also, Dathan and Abiram, he says, get away from their tents where they dwell. Get away from them. And Moses foretells this. He says this is going to happen, and it does happen. He prophesies this. Something new. These men and their families, where they're camping, the, the earth literally opens underneath them, and they fall in, they're swallowed up, and the earth closes behind them. You call it a, you know, any kind of a seismic event or earthquake, whatever you want to call it, but the fact remains that the ground opens underneath these men who had tried to usurp Moses' power, and they're gone. And then fire from the Lord consumes the 250 men offering incense. Remember Nadab and Abihu? God is not willing to let people worship him in ways other than he has prescribed. We have a very dense code of laws now. It is to be followed as God wants. The people are in a rebellious mood. Korah takes advantage. And a whole section of the camp is swallowed into the earth. And 250 men are consumed with fire. As a warning, I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, those censers that they were offering incorrect incorrectly offering um, incense to God. Moses has those sort of hammered out into, bit, into a big covering for the, um, <clears throat> for the altar, sort of as a warning. As, you know, seeing Nadab and Abihu burnt alive and seeing all these guys burnt alive, they literally keep the censers and hammer them out into a big plate. So every time you look at it, you remember like, oh, yeah, remember what happened when, uh, you know, the people rebelled against Moses? So... Um, But it's not over. Again, the dynamic has really changed here. The Israelites grumble to Moses um, about these people being killed as though it was Moses who killed them. If you listen carefully, you'll notice it wasn't Moses who killed them. Moses did what God had commanded him to do. And Moses is certainly not responsible for opening the earth and swallowing people in it. And he certainly didn't bring down fire from heaven. But the people... Complained to Moses. Um, uh, they move. They they move. They're like they're going to move against Moses and Aaron. But the glory of the Lord appears at the tent of meeting, stops them. And Moses informs Aaron that the wrath of God has caused a plague to break out among the people. So again, we're seeing more punishment now. I know this is not the world's happiest story, but I just these are important details to remember. And again, like I mentioned earlier, it's like, hey, you know, if you're missing Egypt, there's a plague, you know, and this is this is really bad. This is a more widespread um, sort of destruction. Um, and and Moses again, far from being just angry with the people, I, I would think it would be the easiest thing in the world to just say, I've sacrificed everything. And the people have moved to stone me. They've argued against me. They've called me a a, a power grabber. But instead, Moses tells Aaron quickly to go grab fire from the altar and offer incense 
go out among the people with incense and, and offer that. Aaron runs and the plague stops, but by the time it stops, it says Aaron goes and he stands between the living and the dead. But by the time the plague stops, almost 15,000 people have died. So this was something, whatever it was, it happened quickly and it was severe um, in response again to the people complaining against, God, uh, complaining against Moses, complaining against God, trying to set up a new situation for themselves. And I've, and I've got a question here. In the midst of all this punishment, um, just remembering that Israel knows now that almost all of them will die in the desert for unfaithfulness and grumbling. Why is it so hard to accept punishment even when we know we have sinned? Your thoughts? I have a couple, but I'd love to hear yours. We don't have the appropriate view of our sin. We don't have the appropriate view of our sin. I think that's certainly possible. I think from our perspective, sin always, we can always find a way to justify it or to lessen it. I certainly think that's true. Um, and I think that's the value of some of these um, written records is showing the way God, we get to see God respond directly when his word is broken. So, Certainly God has a perspective on it that we may not share. It's true. We didn't like it when we were kids, and it's not much more fun now. Um, and, and to be sure, although they've been very wicked, this is a heavy burden. You know? You're going to wander in the desert, you're going to die. You're going to die without a home. Um, but it's just other thoughts. Someone else have one? It's hard to associate Hard to associate punishment with love. Um, you know, is God being unfair? Does he really care about me? You know, um, it's, a, it's an unpleasant thing. But just in the midst of all this, just a, just a moment to think about, you know, when, when the Bible said, you know, God disciplines those he loves, that's a hard thing to accept sometimes. Um, and we'll see here in just a minute that Moses receives a pretty severe form of discipline here in a minute. But... Um, it's, it's ultimately serving the purposes of God and even for Moses' greater good. And that's, and that's uh, what takes, that's where we end up next. Um, did anyone else have any thoughts about sin and how we struggle to accept it? So Israel, after all these plagues, after all this judgment, they move on. They journey to the wilderness of sin. There's no water to drink. The people quarrel with Moses. Again, this is starting to sound pretty familiar. They should have died with their brothers before the Lord. Ooh, that's new. It would have been better if we died with our brothers. You mean the brothers that just died of plague or maybe the ones that got burned? Really? Well, that's kind of a new complaint they're lodging. Um, And, of course, they also question, why were we ever brought out of Egypt? Um, the Lord appears to Moses, and I'm going to read this because it's, um, it's important, and I want to uh, kind of get a, get a handle on this, um, because this deals with um, the part where we've seen Moses start, to start at times last week to crack a little bit, where he complained openly to God, sort of a new thing. We haven't had that recorded yet, and um, today we'll see, and, and remember, God was merciful to Moses and Moses said, it's too much of a burden. I can't do it. You know, why have you dealt this way with your servant? And God didn't punish him. As a matter of fact, God gave him 70 elders to help rule the people. So he actually lightened his load a little bit. Um, but we've seen amidst all this, um, 
amidst all of this um, suffering and amidst all of this um, rebellion that Moses himself has, has slipped a little bit. And now we'll come to a point where Moses is going to blatantly disobey God. Um, so we're in the desert again. We're on the road with Israel. There's no water. I'm in Numbers 20, verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take your staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. And Moses took the staff from before him as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. Now pay attention to this. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So, Moses now, severe punishment. Moses, you are, you're not going to make it into the promised land. We'll find out later he gets to see it, but no closer. Um, It might seem like a small thing, but if you read it, Moses did not do what God had asked him to do. Notice God still provided water. He didn't leave his people thirsty. Everyone still got to drink. But Moses did not do it the way God specifically instructed him to. And Aaron, Aaron was there as well, assumed you know, complacency. And now both of them have a new punishment. They're not going to get to enter the promised land. So we see God's judgment falling on Moses for this sinful disobedience. Um, even, like I said, God does not play fast and loose with his instructions. He does not play fast and loose with his laws. It's important. What do we know? Of the, but I want you to think of this again, the context we talked about, discipline and love. What do we know of Moses' final destination from the New Testament? We see Moses. He pops up in the New Testament. Where? Transfiguration. Absolutely. He appears in glory. So think about it this way. Moses was punished because he didn't obey God. But we move forward and we see that ultimately Moses you know, appears in glory, right? It is a correction for him. It is a punishment for him. But it's not, the, it's not God ultimately just deserting Moses, okay? And I'm, and I'm sure a devastating punishment. I mean, of all people, I'm sure Moses most wanted to see this promised land. But... Um, we just see, we see God's punishment, um, that the, the nature of the punishment was not just to destroy Moses and leave him you know, bereft of all hope, that there was more, more to it than that. Um, so Israel journeys on. Um, <clears throat> they reach Mount Hor. Aaron is summoned and informed he's going to die, that he's supposed to go to the top of this mountain and die. Moses goes with him, and it's because of the breaking, uh, of not following God's specific command regarding the rock and the water at Mirabah. So he goes up on top of the mountain. He dies there. Moses takes 
his clothes, puts it on Eleazar, Aaron's son. And they come down. Israel mourns for 30 days. Um, so now we've lost one of our main characters we've had here since. Remember when the, um, the Exodus started, Aaron was 83, Moses was 80. They're brothers, they've been together. Now we've lost, we've lost one of these men. Um, and now we see, um, as we continue to journey through the desert, um, is, Israel comes into conflict with other peoples. We, we move in. Um, we have the king of Arad attacks the Israelites, um, but God protects them. Because remember, we have, we, have this, we have this punishment, but God has not abandoned them. Okay, Israel takes a vow to the Lord. They said, if you will, if you will just help us, we will devote the cities of, the, of these Canaanites to destruction. And sure enough, God does. Um, <clears throat> the people move on. And a similar thing happens later. But in the meantime, one more point that I want to uh, elucidate here just because it might po- it's, it's something that you guys might have heard of before and I want to make sure you're familiar with it. Israel moves on. They camp. They go around Edom. They complain again. Same thing. Lack of food and water. Complain about being taken out of Egypt. As punishment, God sends snakes among them. Many of them are bitten by snakes and die. Um, this, is, this is a further punishment. God's tired of the complaining. I think that's pretty clear. But, again, there's mercy. Moses makes, well, at God's instruction... Moses makes a bronze serpent up on a tall pole. This is that story you guys have heard of. I just want to make sure you're familiar with that. If you get bitten by one of these snakes that are just everywhere in the camp, if you go and look at this bronze serpent, you won't die. So, um, again, there's punishment, but God also gives grace. He gives deliverance. He doesn't kill everybody. Um, He provides a way of escape. Israel journeys onward. They reach the land of the Amorites. They request a, they, they get in touch with the king, um, and they request to pass through it. Um, he says no. He attacks him. But again, God is with Israel. Israel defeats them. So Israel now, for the first time, is starting to kind of get um, a feeling, not, not, beco- not becoming a warlike people, but just having been tried in battle a couple of times, and God brought them through it. Um, this would have, you know... The absolute polar opposite of when they tried to enter the promised land without God's blessing, right? They're, they're being punished by God, but God has not deserted them, um, and he delivers them. And then we have one more king, the king of Bashan, attacks Israel, and Moses is worried. The Lord assures him he'll be victorious, and the Israelites defeat him and also possess the cities, Okay. And um, that's actually about where we're going to stop for today. Jeremy, bless his heart, he was talking about Balaam. I want to leave enough time to talk about Balaam a little bit next week. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting um, prophetic occurrence. And I want to look at that in more detail. So I, we won't jump off into Balaam, but we will finish Numbers and we will do all of Deuteronomy Next week. So again, by the end of next week, we will have 
We will be done with the first five books of the Old Testament. We will lose Moses, who's been a, you know, the, a, a pillar of our journey for a long time. Um, and we will start conquering the land. And I'll get some, I'll get some maps up again and stuff. Do you guys like the maps? Is that helpful for you? I'll get some maps and we'll talk about the promised land a little bit. And um, we'll kind of trace the journey they've been on. But we'll be past the generation that God promised was going to die um, in the desert. We'll get to start conquering the land. We'll you know, obviously be new characters in our story. I saved a couple minutes here at the end. actually finished just a couple minutes early. Thoughts or, or applications or questions? Yes, Greg, before we finish up today. As we watch or as we go through this uh, story, uh, I'm, I'm sure we shake our heads at the, the lack of faith uh, that, that doesn't automatically come to the Israelites after they see God be faithful again and again and again and how he punishes them again and again and again. And, and it's easy for us to look at them and just think, just how could you not see what the, the faithfulness of God? Mm-hmm. And then I, I think about how perhaps we need to look at ourselves and think how we have gone through this past year uh, with the pandemic, with the, the uh, election, with uh, all the things that are going on that we are complaining and and even fearful of and fearful of the ramifications of it and we quickly forget you know this same god still reigns uh the very same god that did all this for them is the god that's still in heaven and still uh in charge of things and we we don't get to see him or his glory I'm not sure that would matter. It didn't matter to the Israelites. That's a, that's a really interesting point. And, and while you're on that, just for a second, people always seem to want a sign. We know in the New Testament, people ask, you know, for a sign. We see a sign. Show me a sign. The, the rich man says, oh, if, if someone could just raise from the dead and tell my brothers, you know, they wouldn't make the same mistakes I've made. I, Moses, who got to see more of God's glory than anyone who got to talk to God, I am convinced that there's nothing I could see, no sign I could behold with my, you know, my own sinful eyes that would completely remove from me the, the complaining and the grumbling and the, you know, the sinful part of that, that sinful desire. I don't think there's, people always think, oh, if, if we could just see this or if we would just, I don't think there's anything, because if there if anyone could have seen something that would have forever prevented them from grumbling or sinning, Moses was that guy. But I just, and if what Moses saw didn't prevent him from grumbling and stepping into sin, how much more are the rest of us, right? I don't think there's anything we could see with our own human eyes that would just be like, oh, well, now I don't have to struggle with that anymore. I won't ever complain ever again. That just doesn't seem to be the case. And I completely agree. If there was ever a year to be thankful and not complain, I, this year has been a great year. Sorry, Lois, did you have a... I just, this is a completely different thing, but I was struck by the fact that um, God instructed Moses to build a bronze serpent yeah. <laughs> that saved, yeah. saved them from the snake bites yeah. when the golden calf was their destruction. It's true. That's true. Um, and the only way I know to characterize that, Lois, is that um, 
the golden calf or bull was meant to symbolize God. You know, that this, this is where we're going to bring our, our worship here. And, and, the, and the bronze serpent is, is not meant to symbolize God, but it is meant to save the people. But it is odd that it's a bronze serpent. I, I will grant you that. What's that? That's true. And God gave them a direct command to do it. So. Well, I'm sure he hurried, but like we said, there were almost 15, you know, there, there were a lot of people that died in the, in the waiting period, you know, that they had hurried, but like, how long does it take to bronze, make a bronze serpent? I don't know, <laughs> but I'd say like, Aaron, you were pretty quick on that golden calf. How about a, you know, a bronze serpent, you know, something, I, I don't know, <laughs> but Aaron was actually gone by then. So I'm just obviously making a joke, but Yes. Back to the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Did you touch on that, right? Is that what you're uh, alluding to? Well, yeah, no, I just, just the idea that... Um, um, the rich man wanted for his brothers to for, see some miracle. Yes, he, yes, he but, want, but he, I think Scripture says there, too, that um, they have Moses and the prophets. Yes. And also somewhere else in the New Testament. I yes, yes. Somewhere. And, and that's what they fall back on. It's a wicked and adulterous generation yeah. that seeks a sign. It's true. We have, we have the truth of God's word. It's true. And which is everything the world needs for salvation and sanctification. Amen. It's a, it, it, it's a perfect um, description of who God is and yes. who we are and our need for yeah. him yeah. and what he's done for us. So That's what he's left us so we know that that's enough. Exactly. Um, but it is, like you said, it is interesting um, that people always, the unbelieving, always want to see something or show something. You know, if you just see right. that, then I'll believe. And that's never. Seems How many to be the people case. witnessed miracles Jesus performed and yet yeah. went their own way? Right. So. so, so the law and the prophets, that's what we have, you know, and God that's says that have. is enough. Um, so, good point. Excellent. Carol. Well, along with that, I was thinking of uh, reading in Matthew recently where Jesus uh, fed 5,000, then another chapter later, he, he feeds 4,000 in a little different setting. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, the scribes and the Pharisees come up to him and say, um, we want you to show us a sign so we can believe in you. <laughs> and, you know, I, they may not have actually been at the feedings, but you know they heard all about it, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> But that, that's just proof that, you know, people that want signs, we want a sign. God's already given them yeah. plenty of signs. But I was going to say in regard to that serpent on a pole, John 3.14. I don't, I don't know if you mentioned John 3.14 I don't think I did. Please read it. Jesus says this, uh, John 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So that's just a great a great picture of uh, oh they didn't have to do anything with that serpent right they didn't have to do anything they just had to had to look at it look at you it. know and the same that's the same with uh, with Christ mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point I didn't I didn't uh, include that but I, I'm glad you did that that's really it's a nice image that shows you know that the people the people were afflicted they turned and looked at the right thing you know they didn't have to do anything but you know they turned to it and they could be healed, and that's an interesting, interesting image. Um, and again, yeah, a bronze serpent of all things, but you know, it's what God, it's what God said to do. So, must have been the right thing. 
Yeah. Anything else, guys? I think it's interesting, too, that, um, you know, talking about all the complaining that the Israelites do and um, something that's even probably, we're probably even more prone to do at this point. Uh, in that last chapter we were talking about in uh, Numbers 21, where the Israelites are complaining about being brought out of, Israel, or out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, and then, and then they say, for there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Um, so God is providing for them, and they see it. They even know it, and yes. then they say, you're not providing for us because he's not giving them what they want instead yeah. of what their needs are. Yeah. And so I, I don't know how you can even get through that sentence without you know, having a little bit of self-reflection about you know, maybe... Yeah. Maybe I'm missing something here. Yeah. Um, but I think we're super prone to do that too, where we we complain that we don't have, you know, the finances to do the things that we think we need to do, uh, or the the time to do all the things that we think we need. To, you know, whatever it is that we think we need to do, and we say, "Man, I w- I need yeah. more of X." Yeah. You know, and and God's yeah. given us everything that we need. It's the, yeah. maybe not everything that we think we want, but the, yeah. The distinction being is, you know, I'd like to have this. I could so much better with this. And when God has richly provided me with far more than I need and taken care of my needs, and you just like, yeah, we tend to be unthankful. We tend to want more, and and uh, yeah, just a lot of stuff that we can pick up here, and we, where we just see God's faithfulness, and it's a real safeguard in our own life. I, I tell you, in the last. Two or three weeks going through this, when you're, when you're reading so much about complaining, man, you catch yourself in mid-sentence and you're just like, you know, wow, I got I to gotta ask forgiveness for that and stop complaining so much. So anyway, that's the take home here. Fortunately, you know, I don't think any of us are going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years and die out there, but there's a lot we can learn from it and we're thankful for God for leaving this for us. Um, any other thoughts here before we finish up? Thanks for being here, guys, again. And, and again, we're going to finish Deuteronomy, so be through the first five books of the Old Testament uh, next time, and we'll move on from there, and going to be meeting new characters and lots going on. Thank you so much. Have a great week.